Amen. So one day over coffee with a friend, I've known for a very long time, you know, our kids are the same age, you know, we've hung out in Hong Kong over the years, Christian values, very similar interests, and we started talking about politics. Politics in a particular Western country that shall not be named, <laughs> that was really facing some challenges in the leadership and the changes that were happening in that country. And as I listened to my friend talk, I began to get more and more uncomfortable as I realized that we had very different opinions and polarized political views. So of course, I artfully changed the topic brought us onto safer ground and ended our time together on a much lighter note. But over the months, I noticed a change in how I was interacting with them. I would receive some posts from them, social media that I was following, and I started to find emotions rising within me, emotions of anger, frustration, getting cross about the things that they were posting, to the extent I stopped following them. Now, that didn't sit comfortable with me. As I thought about it, I thought, wow, what kind of friend am I? That I ghost someone? <laughs> Just because we have some different views, really? And as I began to think about why I had been responding in that way, I realized that actually it was because I was tired. I was tired of being in disagreement with people. And the easiest thing to do is to pull back. I just didn't have the energy. I wonder how many of us just don't have the energy at times. But I felt sad at the loss of a friendship, a lot of shame, what type of friend was I? And I knew that as I reflected on it, you know, this is not how Jesus would be. So after thinking and reflecting, and over these last few months, I've been on this journey of really discovering what it means to live at peace with those around me, despite differences and to take steps of reconciliation where necessary and if possible. So when Ellison, thank you Ellison, invited me to share on this theme of reconciled relationships a number of months ago, I had to smile. As Christians professing to be followers of Jesus, I am saddened at how we often treat each other, especially over the past few years. There have always been differences within the global church, and we see that through the diversity of traditions and beliefs under that banner of Christianity. However, rather than celebrate the beauty of our diversity, we often find ourselves at war with one another in our words and in our actions. You know, in the milder form, we withdraw, disengage, find ourselves drawn to church communities that you know, are very similar beliefs and comfortable places to be. 
And then the other extreme, where we criticize, take judgmental positions on other churches or leaders and people that we disagree with or maybe that are just different to us. We all do it or have done it in some way or the other. And since we've heard over the past few weeks how we approach our relationships is an important call to us as Christians. So we have to take that honest look at ourselves and see how are we really with others? Dare to believe we can live differently? And as Ellison shared right at the start of this series, if we don't, divisions settle in, walls are built between people, and before we know it, we become more and more isolated. And this is not how Jesus calls us to live. So how do we be restorers of relationship? How can we be at peace with one another when we are and do have differences or when we are in disagreement? So we'll look at two passages today demonstrating to us how Jesus challenged the status quo to be in relationship with those who many disagreed with or were different to them. And Jesus is our role model for how we can be reconcilers. And Jesus in many ways gives us the permission to be countercultural, to break with societal, even religious norms when it comes to relationship with others and to have the courage to step towards people rather than to step back. So the two stories are found in the Gospel of Matthew. They're also referred to in Luke and Mark, and they take place immediately after Jesus has finished his teaching on how to live in the kingdom of heaven. We know that as the Sermon on the Mount. So the context is important because what we witness is Jesus not just teaching on how to live, but then modeling what it means to practically embrace kingdom living, which as he is about to demonstrate was not the way religious leaders, teachers of the law, society at that time expected people to live. In Matthew, we learn that Jesus heads back down the mountain after teaching the crowds of people and encounters a leper who immediately kneels at the feet of Jesus and asks him to heal him. And Matthew chapter eight tells us Jesus' response. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Leprosy is referred throughout the Bible was a broad term used to describe a range of skin diseases, which according to Levitical law meant that a person with any form of skin blemish or impurity was considered unclean and was to live separately from others. If you want some light reading, <laughs> just go to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. Fascinating stuff. Tells you all about how leprosy was to be treated, why there were those laws there, and also how to follow the purification steps 
to join community once again. So if anyone had any contact with someone with leprosy, they too became unclean, would be required to follow all the requirements of Mosaic legislation as well. So you can imagine by the time of Jesus, lepers were really outcasts. They had to remain at a certain distance from people. They were not allowed to live with their families. They were not allowed to work. They were kept away from participating in any religious festivals or celebrations. So not only did they face physical suffering, they also were discriminated against on every level. So this leper in this story does something extraordinary. Having heard about this man who was going around teaching and healing people, what does he do? He does the opposite of what is culturally acceptable, and he reaches out towards Jesus. Jesus, Jewish Jesus, grew up on the law of Moses, and he had just finished explicitly teaching and stating to the crowds of people around him that he had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And this Jesus, he reaches out to touch the leper, and then he speaks out healing. Jesus' physical response appears at odds with how he should be acting. Why didn't he just speak out the healing? Why did he have to touch him? He could have just stood back, said a word, and he would have been healed. And then he didn't expose himself to becoming unclean according to the law. Well, the Gospel of Mark gives us an important detail to this story because he says that Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus crosses the divides of society and love took precedence over law. What about us? Does love, compassion, kindness, grace take precedence of how we respond to others? And then Jesus instructs the man to present himself to the priest and make the required offering that was necessary for his community to accept him back enabling him to be reconciled back in relationship with others. Jesus was a teacher of the law, but he lived out the true intention of the law, which was about reconciling us to a holy God and to each other. Love for God, love for others, possible only because of Jesus. So following this story, Jesus then encounters an enemy. He's approached by those that represent the oppressive Roman Empire. Military officer in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers pleads for Jesus to heal his servant. Now we hear that this centurion is well respected. He's a good guy. The Jewish leaders, they like him. He's known for being unusually generous towards them. But Jesus is under no obligation to help him, even more so because he's a Gentile. So what does Jesus do? Matthew tells us. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. 
that you can imagine the gasps around him as once again, Jesus is turning things upside down. Jewish law clearly separated Jews from Gentiles. It would have been scandalous for Jews to enter the home of a non-Jew. The centurion knows this as well, and this is his response. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. Jesus once again was modeling to those around him that in the kingdom of heaven, we are to love those considered as enemies. And he takes a very practical response to that here. Jesus is publicly showing he's willing to cross the invisible boundaries of unacceptable behavior. The centurion also crosses that boundary in his own request with humility and respect. He's a man with his own power and authority, yet he acknowledges there's a higher power and authority in Jesus. Jesus goes one step further in his public acceptance of the Turian. He says he was astonished. Other translations use amazed. Makes the example of this centurion to everyone around him, commending this foreign soldier for his insight and his faith. There's only one other time that Jesus is referred to as being astonished or amazed. That's in the book of Mark, and Jesus was in his hometown with his own people facing a lot of opposition. And there he was amazed or astonished at their lack of faith, quite a contrast to those around him. You see, religious leaders, teachers of the law, many Jews believed that Judaism was an inherited passport for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus challenges this in that bold statement, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then he goes on, to reference the messianic feast where he paints a very clear picture. The shallow keeping of laws to gain merit with God at the expense of others is not what gets you into the kingdom of heaven. You see, both the leper and the centurion, they demonstrate a courage to go against the status quo and take a risk socially and personally by reaching out to Jesus. They were drawn to Jesus, and Jesus was drawn to them. And throughout scripture, 
Jesus demonstrates through his teaching, his parables, his words, his actions, Jews, Gentiles, all people, all humanity, share an involvement with him. Divisions because of race, gender, social status or beliefs have no part in the gospel when we choose to live like Jesus and we choose to love like Jesus. So who are the unclean, outcast, or the enemies in our context? Are people drawn to us or do they stay away? Are we reaching out and building bridges intent on reconciliation? Have we given up on reconciliation? Or are we withdrawing, building those invisible walls, comfortable to be only with those that look or act just like us? I spent some time living and working in the Middle East and during my time there, I have to be honest with you, I built a lot of walls. I lived in a place where I was surrounded by a lot of discrimination and at times hostility. Often as a way of protecting ourselves, we do retreat behind those invisible walls where we feel safe and less vulnerable. And I do want to say that I am not talking today about abusive relationships or when we find ourselves physically or emotionally at risk. In those cases, the priority is always safety. But here I was working in an environment where to be a woman was to be inferior. I would have male colleagues who would not look me in the eye, not speak to me. In fact, when I entered the room, they left. I couldn't open a bank account on my own. I needed permission to leave the country from my husband, which he obviously was going to give. <laughs> Generally treated as a lesser human being because of my gender. I'm a pastor. I've served here at this church for 10 years. But you know, if I'm truly honest with you, I'll let you into a little bit of a secret, but don't tell anyone if you're watching online. Don't spread it. There's a little bit of insecurity in me of being a pastor. And I see that when I withdraw from any large gatherings where there are other pastors. Do you want to know why? Because I know that some of my brothers and sisters in Christ do not agree that women should be pastors. So I've built up a wall between other Christians with different theological beliefs. So what does it look like when we build walls or when we place barriers in front of those that are different to us? Let me demonstrate. Now, if you're watching online, and if you're in the room, it's dark. And if you're watching online, you wanna, may wanna close your eyes, except if it's not safe. <laughs> the point of this is to show you that when we build up walls, 
It's really hard to see our neighbors. Walls create a barrier between us. We don't see clearly. So if I have a different political view or theological position to you, if I have a different sexual orientation or see gender identity differently, or if I choose not to be vaccinated, how do you see me? How are you responding to me? Because what we do is, when there is a wall in front of us, we begin to create our own story about that person. And that person, our story that we've created, is often full of judgment, criticism, and our own assumptions. And we cannot be in relationship with those that are different. We cannot reconcile with those that we are indifferent, with different opinions, if we do not see each other and break down those walls. The lights just came on, if you're watching online. <laughs> Why can't we? Because you've created your own story about me, right? You've chosen the easier option because we always think that we are right. You withdraw from really getting to know me. I, in turn, retreat because I don't feel safe. And I put up a wall, you put up a wall. This becomes even more challenging if we're in family more challenging if we're in a church community. So what walls have you built? What walls do we have as a Vine Church? What's hindering us from truly embracing each other and living in authentic relationships with each other? Is it fear of rejection, of being vulnerable, of being judged? lack of energy, even apathy? How do we break down those walls and how do we live with differences without compromising what we believe? We can agree to disagree, you know. How can we be truly reconcilers in relationships and live as Jesus lived? You know, it isn't easy. And I don't want to oversimplify how hard it is to be in relationship with those that are different, to move towards reconciliation when you've been hurt. It isn't easy, but it is possible. And I wanna give us three ways that we can move towards being a people known for our love of others, not known for our differences. Do you wanna know them? I'm so glad you said yes. Did you say yes online? So I wanna give all the credit for these suggested ways to a course that we run regularly at the Vine called the Difference Course. Now this was created by a reconciliation ministry and it has the vision to empower Christians to live together in this conflicted world. And it begins by choosing to lean towards each other. We like Jesus, can choose to actually touch 
the leper. Right? We, like Jesus, can choose and be willing to go to the Gentile's house. Scandalous, right? Do we want to be scandalous, Christians? No, yes, yes. Okay, number one, be curious, be curious. We've all got our own story, right? Every one of us here has our own story. And taking time to know our stories is a powerful way to step towards understanding each other better. If we can accept that we do not know everything and we are not always right, if we can choose to take a posture of humility towards others, as Promise highlighted a couple of weeks ago, we begin to see others differently. Asking questions is a great way to do this. Tell me, why do you think like that? Help me understand your perspective. I've never seen it like that, but that's helpful. How, how, how do I find out more about that? When I stopped to really understand more about the beliefs of my colleagues in the Middle East, I began to see them differently. Their strict religious code meant that men were not allowed to associate with any woman unless it was their own family. Very strict code. So, of course, it wasn't about me personally, and knowing that helped me not to take offense. I may disagree with many of the practices and restraints for women in that country, and yes, I do see injustice, but choosing to break down my own wall of judgment and assumption about a culture and my colleagues, I was able to form relationships within that culture that enriched my life, but did more than that. Hopefully, I was a better witness for Jesus too. You know, Jesus asked questions. Google told me 300, over 300 questions were recorded in the Gospels, which I find really interesting because I think, Jesus, you knew everything. Jesus had the answers to everything, right? He was God. And yet, he still asked questions. So if Jesus can ask questions, we can ask questions too. Who do you need to reach out to and be curious with? Number two, be present. All right, how many times have we entered into conversation with others with an agenda to prove we are right and they are wrong? You don't have to answer that question. For example, during COVID, we've all met people with different views on vaccinations, right? It's our duty to be vaccinated to keep society safe. It's controlling and against our human rights. Many different views often polarized even within the church. When we are listening to someone, are we actively listening or are we formulating a counter-argument in our heads the moment they have finished speaking, we are giving our point of view? And we all know what it is like to have someone listen to us, but they're not really listening. Their body language, their eye contact, their responses, they show this. 
But if you were to choose to put aside your own agenda of being right and actually listen, be present with someone, even if you disagree, they will feel heard and they will feel respected. That breaks down walls. We can be in relationship with others and agree to disagree. So how is your defensiveness, maybe, pride, or fear of being with people that are different to you? Contributed to you not really listening. Who do you need to make a step towards reconciliation today with a posture of humility by choosing to be present with them? Number three, reimagine. Imagine what the world would be like if we as Christians were known for our love and understanding of each other in the midst of disagreement. Imagine if I could have a conversation about my faith with an unbelieving parent or brother or sister without it ending in an argument over idol worship. Rather, I trusted the Holy Spirit to be at work in my conversation. Imagine a church where everyone felt accepted, could find a place to belong without judgment, without criticism. Where community groups were full of people that were a little bit different to each other, but they intentionally made a commitment to do life together in their differences. Imagine a city where different generations commit to putting aside their differences in order to mentor, to support, work together to give back to the city of Hong Kong. You see, reimagining is about trusting the Holy Spirit. It is about trusting the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. The leper imagined being healed and he reached out to church Jesus even though he knew he should not have done that. The centurion imagined having one with greater authority than he did, different religion, different social status, willing to heal his servant. Imagine. Being curious, being present, reimagining. These are all practical ways to approach others as we choose to move towards being in reconciliation, living in at peace where is possible with those that are different to us. Jesus said, by this, all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So I wanna be known as a disciple of Jesus because of my love for others. I want to live in reconciliation with my brothers and sisters, not division. I want this church to be a place where people feel safe to come because they know they won't be judged or discriminated because of their differences. Finally, if people are drawn to us because of our love, our humility, our kindness, our compassion, they're drawn to Jesus, right? And through Jesus, 
Jesus is the ultimate remedy in relationships for all of humanity. Because through Jesus, we get to be reconciled to our God. Imagine that. May I pray with us? Would you stand? Again, I don't want to oversimplify what it means to struggle in relationships. And I would say that we all have broken relationships. It's very true for me as well. But we can take steps. And maybe today, something that you've heard today will give you the courage you need to take one step towards living differently. And as we were praying earlier, there's one thing that came to mind. Michelle shared about this picture of embers. And I can see that in this, this place right now, embers, embers of relationship that potentially could go out. And the Holy Spirit wants you to reimagine what it could look like if they were fanned back into flame. And maybe that's something for you here or watching online. Maybe for you, the, even the idea of reconciliation triggers something in you and it's really painful. Then I encourage you to sit with the Holy Spirit and ask him to show you what it would mean to imagine something different with that person if possible. Or maybe you found yourself pulling back from somebody and the Holy Spirit is nudging you to move towards that person. Find out their story. Stop judging or making assumptions because you think you know what is right. Whatever it may be today, our prayer is that you would know the Holy Spirit bringing to mind how you are to take this message and let it change you. The Word of God is powerful. These are not just words on a paper. They are words on a paper, but the Holy Spirit breathes life through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit. So allow what has been spoken over us to change us to make us the people that draw others to Jesus because we're known for our love. So Father, as we come before you now, we do so knowing that we're all broken in different ways. We've all failed in relationships in different ways. We've all judged, we've all criticized, made assumptions. But Father, help us to follow the role model of Jesus who dared to touch a leper and dared to hang out at a centurion's house when everyone around him would have said no. Father, help us to move towards people, not away. Give us the courage we need. Fill us by your spirit. May we be curious, be present, and may we allow your spirit to reimagine what we could be like with the power of God at work. In Jesus' name, amen.